Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Well, good morning. The power of a soundtrack. Well, most of you know uh, my wife, Cheryl, and you know that she is usually the sweetest and most trustworthy person that you could ever have the privilege of knowing. But then, my wife tried to steal the neighbor's dog. I was so embarrassed. I, I absolutely, I was, I was stunned. I really, I couldn't even believe it. And so my, my wife spun a bit of a story. Um, she was trying to explain that the dog was running around our yard one day when she came home. And she says she recognized it as the dog that was belonging to a family like two blocks away. So apparently she said she went and caught the dog and, you know, grabbed it and gently carried it back over to the neighbor's house. And then she was knocking on the door and uh, no one answered. So she says she, she took a little piece of paper and she wrote, you know, a little note on it about, I have your dog, and tried not to make it look like a ransom note, and said she stuck it in the slit in the door. And then, and then she, she takes the dog and, you know, turns around and starts walking away from the house. And so as she's walking away from the house, the door opens. And the lady opens the door and she says, excuse me? And uh, my wife said, I, I have your dog. And the lady says, I can see that. And then my wife's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I saw your dog running around my yard and I was just bringing him back to you. And the lady's like, uh-huh. Now, you can't really blame a person for having this immediate negative soundtrack, right? So in a, in a split second, she went from, hey, that normally very sweet lady around the block is stealing my dog. Uh, and, and we do that because as we saw last week, our brains are actually wired to go toward the negative. And our soundtracks that we create will often sound something like formerly nice neighbor steals dog. Now, fortunately, in this case, this soundtrack did prove to be untrue So, because there are no charges or anything being pressed. And so at least that's how I'm understanding it. Uh, and last week, we started this whole series called Soundtracks. And by way of review, in case you missed some of it, we saw that our brains can be, a, be real jerks. And you'd think that your brain would have your best interests in mind, uh, but it doesn't always seem to be that way. And so our brains can be real jerks. And we found out that most of us struggle with overthinking. In fact, I'd say all of us at some point will struggle with overthinking, and it has a negative impact on the way that we, are, we want to live our lives and the way that God wants us to live. Now... 
Everyone who is running soundtracks in our lives will notice them as the constant stream of thoughts that just keep running and taking up residence in our minds. And sometimes the thing about these soundtracks is they're broken. They're broken. We will very often see soundtracks that are running through our minds that are negative. And we will often find soundtracks that God does not see any value in, in our mind. So, that's the gist of the series that uh, we're going to be uh, kind of talking about over the next few weeks. But it's important for us to recognize the power that a soundtrack can have. And how changing a soundtrack can also have a very powerful effect. And so think about your favorite song. So whatever your favorite songs are, you've probably listened to them hundreds of times. If you go back all the way, 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 way back when, when kind of your favorite songs were being cemented in your mind, like Stairway to Heaven or Sweet Child of Mine. So, you know, those I'm dating myself right there. So, you know, if those are your, like some of your favorite songs, hundreds of times, and if you were out at like a, you know, at, at like a wedding, and there a song came on that was one of your favorite songs growing up, and you might not have heard it for like a decade, but at that, when you're at the wedding and suddenly you're like, oh, it's going to be a 90s dance party. Like, you know, you just can't, you're like, this is unbelievable. Like, they're playing real music now. And so, because it's just such a part, and you will be able to sing every lyric that you knew when the song first came out. My wife showed me recently, I, I don't even know all of the Guns N' Roses lyrics, which is embarrassing, because uh, I thought I did, but I don't. Uh, be, but I knew all of the ones that I did know back then, hundreds of times. But here's the thing. When you say something stupid, or a friend will make a comment that maybe you were not, uh, you didn't find particularly helpful, or maybe, you know, you texted that special someone and they, they didn't get back to you. Or maybe for you, you know, you're, you, you, you kind of screwed something up and, you know, you forgot to live one day at a time and you've got a 30-day token mocking you. These soundtracks aren't going to play a dozen times or a hundred times. They're going to be set on repeat. If you hear the soundtracks that you're a disappointment and that you're not going to amount to much or that you'll never be able to run with the big dogs. You just don't have that kind of horsepower. Or maybe you'll, you'll never really be known and loved. Those soundtracks are going to go over again and again and again and again. They'll be, you'll, you'll replay them countless times. And because of that, the power of soundtracks, you, it just simply cannot be overstated. Now, the Bible we saw last week gives us a simple solution to combating our negative soundtracks. Take ownership of your thoughts. So taking ownership of your thoughts is something that we often don't realize we can do. Our thoughts, we, we sometimes think of our thoughts like the weather. It's something that happens to us. It's not something that, that we have any sort of control over. They just hit us. Bam, 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 bam. And that's the, the state I have to live in. That's the existence because it's my brain after all. 
I can't turn off my brain. My thoughts are running wild. We use language like that because we, we don't really think that we can take ownership of our thoughts, that we are at their mercy. But we can take ownership of our thoughts. We saw the Bible tells us you take every thought captive. Every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Now that's obviously often easier said than done. And that's what the rest of this series is going to nibble around the edges of a few key ideas and a couple, we're going to try to take a couple of big bites out of these powerful biblical truths that will help us really challenge our soundtracks. And we're going to challenge it with these questions. Are these soundtracks true? Are they helpful? And are they kind? Are they true and helpful and kind? And each week we're going to be looking at one particular facet, one of these questions, and we are going to figure out if they are not these things, then how do we retire them? How do we replace them? And then how do we repeat the new soundtracks so much so that they become the now dominant soundtracks of our lives. So today we ask, are these soundtracks true? Now, last week we looked at the book of 1 Samuel and we saw how the first king of Israel, King Saul, he was combating these broken soundtracks. And because he failed in combat in fighting these soundtracks, a whole host of terrible things happened to him and the nation, to his family. And it was contrasted last week with King David, who seemed to be able to rewrite and, and hang on to the soundtracks that make him more and more into the image of God. Now, we're going to see it again in chapter 15, but this is a really rough text, okay? In the context, God is commanding the nation of Israel to go to battle against one of their exceptionally wicked enemies, and it's one of only a couple of cases in the whole of the scriptures where God says, I want everything wiped out. I want everything destroyed. Every living person and animal must be annihilated because these people are particularly vile. And without an annihilation, they will continue to plague the nation and hurt the people of God. Now, I really want to talk about that particular part of it, but if I do that, I can't talk about the other parts of it. And Trevor said he really wanted to answer all the questions that are raised by that. So after the service, you can ask him about all of those very difficult things. I'm going to take some of the easier fruit uh, from this text because Trevor really wanted the hard stuff. Uh, so the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. What? He had just had this epic battle and we're about to find out that it didn't go nearly as well as he thinks it does and he's going and setting up monuments to himself? And at first you go, that's clearly a megalomaniac. He's got some ego track running. We're actually going to find out it's the opposite. Something else is going on here with Saul where he's, he's grasping after something that was already his, but he himself is struggling to believe it and 
he's not so sure the people believe it. So Saul greets Samuel cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command, which included destroying all of the animals. Then what is all the bleating of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Samuel demanded. Samuel's like, you're, you're lying. You're telling me you did it, but I'm hearing the lies all around me. Samuel demanded, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and goats and cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. You see, Saul, is, he's like, no, 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 it really did happen. I know we were supposed to destroy the animals. We got a better plan. Samuel's like, really? You've got a better plan than God's plan. There's a lie that's kicking around in Saul's head about whether or not he can trust Samuel and whether or not he can trust God. And Samuel's like, just, just stop, just stop. Often that's the only thing we get to say about our lies. Sometimes we have to just, we have to see them for what they are. We got to say, just, just stop. Enough of this. Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? We saw this starting last week where, where Saul was so insecure, he was so fearful, and Samuel was like, no, this is for you. You are the leader of God's people. And Saul's like, I guess I got to start setting up monuments to myself to convince everyone. No, you can let God do the convincing. You don't have to worry about what it is that everyone else is going to say about you. Everyone else is going to think about you. That's a lie that you're letting run through your own mind. You need an audience of one. He, gets, he says to him, the Lord has anointed you king of Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord. At what point do we have to stop and ask, does Saul really believe that he's obeying the Lord? Has he so thoroughly convinced himself? Because that's what we do. Our minds, they run these things over and over and over and over and over and over again. We just believe these lies. They become a part of what it is, that we, how we actually think the world ought to be and is. And usually they're di directed toward ourselves in exceptionally harsh ways. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag. What? He should have died on the battlefield. He was part of destroy everything. But you brought him back for what? Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. And we see something very distressing. Samuel has anointed him king. He poured the oil over him. He, he sent him out with a whole series of signs and wonders to, to validate, to prove it to him. He established him. He says, listen, this is a word from God. You are the nation's king. Our hopes, our dreams rest in you. You are God's chosen man for this day. And Saul says, the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God. We actually see it a couple of times. 
Saul isn't even at the place at this point where he is comfortable to consistently say, our God. He's talking about God and Samuel as if they're over there doing their thing, and, and Saul is just a, an unwilling participant in some way. And he's saying, no, this is, this is your God, Saul. Your God called you to this. And for whatever reason, Saul is continuing to struggle. He says, rebellion, this is Samuel telling him some more. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command for I was afraid. I was afraid. The people wanted the animals. The people wanted to spare the king. Is Saul shifting blame? Was he genuinely scared? It seems like he might have been because that's what we saw in the earlier chapters, that, that fear had so rooted itself in his soul that the whole of his world was being governed and run by this soundtrack. So what if the people are upset at you, Saul? You're the king. But yes, but what if they rebel? So what? God said, you should have done it. That's all there is to it. But you let another soundtrack get in there, a soundtrack rooted in fear. Fear isn't going to get us where the Lord wants us. So here's Saul continuing to believe these lies about himself. When he could have stopped and said, are these soundtracks true? Are they true? The people are going to turn on me. Is that true? How do you know that? Well, they're already grumbling. Well, that might be the time they need the leader to bring them to a point where they stop grumbling against their God. Yes, but what if they turn on me and they kill me? Then what? Well, then you would have died in obedience to your Lord. But that wouldn't have happened because God has already promised that you were going to do great things in Israel. Yeah, but he doesn't understand these people and how stiff-necked they are. Really. Really. We allow these lies about God, we allow lies about ourselves, we allow lies about other people to shape our soundtracks. It's entirely within our ability to stop these soundtracks make them captive, and force them into submission to the truth of God. And here's the thing, we can't, our, our brains are not entirely trustworthy, and we have got to, 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 to reconcile that in some way. And that's what makes so many of our soundtracks unhelpful or, or, or hurtful or, or just straight up harmful in, in our lives and in the others, and it is also what drives their truthfulness. Right? We discussed last, week's, last week that our brains are wired toward the negative, but there's, there's more than that, according to researchers. Memories can't always be trusted. I find this whole field of study very, very unsettling. But our memories can't always be trusted. So a memory imprints in your mind, and researchers tell us that what we do is we grab that memory when we're trying to recall it, we think about it, it jiggers around a little bit, and then we implant it again. But in that process, 
Not all of the details are always remembered. If some of you will remember back in the 90s when there were some counselors that were like some uh, therapists dropping some significant negative memories into people's minds and it took them a long time to figure out what was going on. They were uncovering a lot of different uh, kinds of memories. Well, that is something that was going on. That was an extreme example. But our brains can't always be trusted. And, and at first, this is like, oh boy, then what can I know? What can I trust? Well, there's a whole lot that you can know and you can trust, but it doesn't mean that what you remember and what you remember about it and how you feel about it needs to be seared into your story. It means they also can be undone and laid down according to God's truth. Now, this is a wild area of research that we can actually somehow edit and reinteract with and even recreate memories that bring them in line with God's truth and plan. But at the very least, it should create just a, a little bit of insecurity that allows us to not let them be our masters. It also, the researchers tell us, that when we are faced with fake rejection, it releases real chemicals. This is also wild. So when in a University of Michigan, they did this study that said, these uh, participants are going to experience social rejection. And when they did, their, their bodies created this flood of chemicals. Those chemicals help to reinforce the rejection, the trauma, the experience. And so they get laid down in, in deep tracks in a person's brain. Here's the kicker. Even when the participants knew that the, that the rejection was part of a study, meaning it wasn't legitimate social rejection, even when they knew that, it released the chemicals and it ran tracks in their brains. So, you know, sometimes parents were like wildly insensitive. Kids come home and they're upset and they're crying and they're, they're frustrated by something that happened and they feel they're just, they're a wreck and we're like, come on, it's not a big deal. Really? Because real or fake, it's releasing the same kinds of chemicals and it is implanting and rewriting things in the way they think about themselves and the world. Parents, we need to be wildly, teachers, wildly delicate in these areas and honor what is actually going on. But it also means, it also means that we're not always 100% sure if this was a truly traumatic thing that ought to change and impact the rest of my story. It means that, that sometimes our brain is reinforcing things to hold us hostage to the past. And that is not always the case, but it, it does mean that even with legitimate trauma, we can revisit them and add the truth and the hope of the gospel to it. We can rewrite these deeply wired thoughts. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, the brain also trusts what it already knows. And that's a big deal. Confirmation bias is real. And so if you think of yourself as not that smart, 
I had a teacher one time that said I wasn't that smart. That it doesn't matter if you have shown incredible intelligence in 10 different fields, in 10 different ways, that one time you do something a little foolish, a little silly, a little boneheaded, you're like, oh, there it is. See, I knew I wasn't smart. Now, this is the way the brain makes sense of a complex world. It simplifies things and it drops things into categories very fast and often unconsciously. But these are soundtracks that may or may not be true about you. Sometimes we'll hear, you know, like a mom will say, I'm so disorganized just with the kids and work and I'm overwhelmed. I have so many different things. I'm so, and if I wasn't so disorganized, things would be just so much better for it. But there I am, I'm disorganized. They, they, one time, three minutes late for one of the, you know, 50 after school activities that a kid gets to. And all of a sudden they go, look, I'm, I told you, I'm, I'm so disorganized. But the 25 things that they nailed all of the timelines that they hit, all of the responsibility, those don't make it into your reckoning. Confirmation bias. It's what I think about myself, and now I'm only seeing the, the facts and the data that will align with what I already believe. This is one of the big challenges. Now, the Bible gives us some very awesome tools to fight to rewire our brains to retire and replace these old soundtracks. And we get to see this in the book of Romans, he says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So that is one of the key things that sin does. Truth about God, and there are lies. And so what we end up doing instead is say, all right, here's a lie. I'm going to exchange it. And all of a sudden it becomes your truth. Rarely will you continue to believe a lie. The brain can't function well in that place. So you will now make that truth, a, that lie, a truth for you. Big issues for us. But Paul goes on to say, you want to switch it out? All right, we'll see if that helps us a little bit. Might not. I might have broken a wire. I think I might have sat on it earlier. Sorry. <clears throat> My bad. All right, so Romans 12, uh, later on, Paul is writing really with this same idea in mind. And he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Your transformation into a new person starts at your conversion. That is when a person is born anew, born again, transformed into a new person. But the transformation process continues all the way that, to the point that Jesus returns or we meet him in glory. So the transformation continues. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. And you're going to change the way you think because you're not going to copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. You're going to trust God to do this work of transformation. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. People often say, how do I know God's will for this particular decision? You're missing the point. That particular decision isn't nearly as important 
as being transformed in your thinking, then you will simply know what God wants in any given situation or circumstance. And sometimes it isn't, it isn't, we're making big deals over issues that aren't big deals in his kingdom. But you'll know what is perfect and his pleasing will is because your mind will continually be transformed and you will simply know because you will have new soundtracks based on the truth of God. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Now, a lot of folks look at this and they go, all right, well, honest in evaluation of yourselves, that means you're confronting lies. Either direction, you're confronting lies about you. Be honest with who you really are in God measuring yourself by the faith, God. Now, some people look at this and they go, oh, that's the faith. That's the substance of faith. And if I have enough faith, but I don't have enough faith, I'm struggling with my faith, I have doubts. I don't think that's at all what he's talking about. I think he's saying here, measure yourself by the faith, by the truth, by the gospel. We have, he has entrusted to us the faith of the saints. It's not some mystical substance. It's a body of God's truth. It's, a, it's, it's the fullness of everything God, God thinks and believes about you. That's the faith that God has entrusted to us, that he has given to us. And this allows us to interrogate our thoughts. Is this soundtrack true? Is it true? And this is so vital for us to take these thoughts, dispute the facts, get a second opinion, talk to a spouse, talk to your small group. You have all of these thoughts running wild. Talk to someone in your discipleship group. Find some people as a, as a second opinion. If you were having a medical diagnosis that was significant, you would get a second opinion. Get a second opinion as to what's been running through your mind. The lies that you believe will look true. And you might need a second opinion to jostle them free. Check it in with the scriptures. What is it that God really says about this? What is the truth about God in this moment? What lie had I been believing? What truth is there about me or about this other person? That one kills me. Because knowing what God thinks about all of the people around you, even the people that I think are idiots, is really hard for me. Because when I think they're idiots, I'm like, obviously God must think they're idiots too. And there's no like Jesus died for their sins and all that going on. I'm like, no, clearly they're idiots and God must be very upset with them. But the reality is God looks at them in a whole different way. Can I bring my truth into an alignment with God's truth? We do these, we grab these thoughts, check in with the spirit, bring it to prayer. Spend some time ruminating on these kinds of things. And then what we will see time and again is that, my friends, the truth will, in fact, set us free. Let me pray. Father, I am asking that you would help each of us in this incredible discipline, that we would begin to think and to learn and to experience in these ways, that we, Father, wouldn't simply just take every thought that hits us as from you or as, uh, as gospel truth, but instead, Lord, we would... We would challenge them. We would interrogate them. We would look for the thought behind the thought. We would get at the thing that is the true fear driving us in these decisions. And we would put those thoughts behind the thoughts 
on trial. And we would hold fast to the faith that has been entrusted to us as we seek to take every thought captive and bring it into submission to the cross of Jesus and his great love for each and every one of us. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.